When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and we're recording on a Friday afternoon. And now I must insert a quick message at the start of this podcast. I apologise to the listeners if my audio was really, really bad earlier in the week because on reflection with the producer, we'll look back at it and it just wasn't good enough. So we've amended the issue. It was a software problem. We've tweaked it, looked at it and hopefully we're coming across the airwaves nice and clear today. Samuel, it won't make a difference to you because you can hear us anyways. Um, but how are you? Are you all right? I can. I, I'm not too bad, thank you. Not too bad at all. You've been uh, any luck on Royal Ascot this week? I'm sure you've been better at every single race, have you? No, no, no. My my attention's been more fixated on on, on the Ashes and, and Wimbledon's just around the corner as well. So that's it's it's always good to have some uh, some some real genuine sports events that are non football in in the summer. It's uh, it, it doesn't make much of a difference to us in terms of ticking the summer along because there's always it does the summers always seem to shorter between the seasons. But you you want to watch some some high quality sport in the meantime, and it's it is nice to have that escapism with. Uh, the, the ashes as said and, and the tennis coming round and, and also a bit of golf as well nice to hear that you like inferior sports Samuel it's football horse racing <laughs> and golf are the, that's the pecking order it's, it's, it's always been football and, and cricket for me but when, when Wimbledon's on uh, I've, I've, I think it's, it's helped us growing up in this country that the, the Wimbledon's always been on uh, free to air TV well you have, you have to pay the licence fee of course but it's, it's a small price to pay uh, in the grand scheme of things although I'm, I suspect I'm not speaking on everyone's behalf on that one <laughs> yeah, I do enjoy Wimbledon. I'm slagging it off a bit there, but I do enjoy it. It's a, it's a great spectacle. Anyway, Samuel, we'll make it snappy. Uh, both busy men today. I've got a place to go. going to go see Gary Neville at my old university later, um, doing a talk. And you're, of course, busy yourself. So we'll just jump into the, the biggest point from this week, I guess, which was Mason Mount. He was the big talking point. Obviously, uh, United have had an interest in him and they've submitted a second offer this week for £45 million pounds up front with £5 million pounds in add-on. add-ons. Should I say that's obviously been rejected by Chelsea. Um, what's the latest on that deal, really? Because it, to me, he feels very attainable at this point and he does feel like he's going to be the first signing of the summer at Old Trafford. There will be a third bid and it's probably a matter of time until Chelsea decide whether that's acceptable or not. It would be odd if for United to go this far down the road and then decide to to turn around at any point. If if they don't sign Mount, you'd have to see that as a failure. Now, personal terms were agreed. Uh, I can't remember when I did that story. Was it three weeks ago? Maybe uh, I was told at the time that personal team terms were agreed. No club to club agreement. These things can drag out. It, it's in everyone's interest to get that deal done quite quickly. Uh, Chelsea needs some sales before the end of the month. To balance the books, uh, given the, the amount of incomings they've had in recent transfer windows, and it's the end of the, I think it's the second quarter or the third quarter. I'm, I'm not a financial expert by any stretch, but uh, there's a quarter that ends June 30th, and that's only a week off now. Um, 
United are bidding quite precisely with Mount as well. They're not just chucking money at him because uh, they 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 are on a tight they are on a tight budget as they have been in probably more more summers than people would would actually um, would actually realise. And where the prices always go up, of course, it means that there are fewer players you can buy with the money that you have at your disposal, especially if you if you're United. And go back two years ago, they budgeted for two big signings that summer in Varane and Sancho. They got them done, uh, you know, quite quite commendably given United standards. I think Sancho was seventy two point nine million. That was the overall fee. With, with Varane, it was rising to something like forty two million pounds. With Mount, if they sign him for fifty five or sixty million, there will be money left there to to sign a striker but of course when it comes to sign that striker that there will be a lot of negotiations that go on there in terms of what's the upfront fee uh what are the add-ons how will the add-ons be paid how will they be triggered uh, are, are the add-ons likely are they probable i think you've seen that with the declan rice negotiations that arsenal started with they tried to chance their arms suggesting that they could Declan Rice sorry West Ham would get money for Declan Rice if Arsenal won the Premier League or if they won the Champions League and of course Arsenal haven't won the Premier League in nearly 20 years and they've never won the Champions League so clubs are going to chance their arm as I said and with United the the, the important thing is that the player wants to come he has to leave Chelsea this this summer because he's not going to sign a new contract there's an acceptance at Chelsea that he will go that he has to go and it's just the waiting game. And where, with social media in particular, where every cough and spit and everything is, is covered in sometimes excruciating detail, uh, it, it gives the impression that some of these things are, are sagas when, when they're not. United are still hopeful that they can get that done, get that deal concluded swiftly. So I, I, I'm i always loath to put in timeframes on, on these things because I think that's... Um, I just think that's that's probably unwise, and that there have been a couple of examples, not necessarily that um, have been related to the MEN's coverage of of signings or possible signs in the past. But you see it happen so often, and more often than not, people end up with with egg on their face. But if you were a betting man, and I know you certainly are, I think it. I think the odds on on Mount still ending up at United would be pretty slim. Although I've not done very well at Royal Ascot, Samuel, this week, so maybe I shouldn't be. But there's still two days remaining, Friday and Saturday, as we're recording this podcast. Um, I think 50 million is probably the sweet spot with add-ons. I know it's kind of pointless getting really into the, the detail of what price it is. But I mean, when you look at Raheem Sterling, who was signed from Manchester City for 47 million, he had one year left on his deal, of course, just like Mount does. And Arsenal uh, are believed to be closing in on Kai Havertz as well for 65 million. And he's got two years left on his deal. So when you have that as context, I think 50 million is a very fair reflection of market value for, for Mount really. And I guess it's good that United aren't looking to overpay. They're saying, look, this is what we're going to offer. And if, you're, if you really want more, we're going to walk away from this deal. And sometimes in the past, we haven't saw that. So that's obviously very promising. Why do you think Tenag wants him then, Samuel, particularly? Um, and I, I guess simply for me, he's going to bring a lot of energy to that midfield. We've saw the midfield lacking legs in the latter stage of the season. Christian Eriksen, we discussed quite a bit. And I pulled up a stat with Rich. He made 13 starts in the Premier League in 2023. 
and he only played a full game once in that run, which was against Arsenal at the Emirates. So that just shows you, he just keps get, getting And that was Needs must, really, wasn't it? Because Casemiro was suspended that day. Yeah, yeah. And he's just looked tired, hasn't he, Ericsson? He's looked, he's, he's looked short, of, short of pace and he can't press how Tenaga wants him across a full 90 minutes. So I guess Mount's going to really improve that midfield in that regard. Couldn't agree more with you there. And it was interesting reading Ty's piece on, was it Thursday morning, about Mount's year in his his gap year, if you like, in, in the Netherlands, where he, he would have been um, playing games in, in front of Ten Hag and someone likened him to Frankie de Jong. And of course, Ten Hag spent almost the entirety of last summer hoping to, to reunite with de Jong. That, that, is all, that always seemed pretty... Um, remote the chance of United going back in for De Jong this summer even though Ten Hag has always been open to it as you'd expect him to be so in, in a way you look at who's who is attainable and who is is slightly similar to to De Jong I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily have a thought of Mason Mount because I think certainly for those of us who've watched him quite regularly play for Chelsea um, he's he's played higher up the pitch and that was his role in the England team as well when they they got to the Euros final in in 2021 and it, it would still be interesting to see what happens there if if provided they of course do do end up signing Mount because Fernandez had some really good games last season playing deeper and you wonder it's it's probably a long shot but you still wonder whether Ten Hag's thinking well I'll play Mount for higher up and I'll bring Fernandez deeper but the, the the gut feeling is that Mount will be coming in to take Ericsson's place in that team. And then you've got a very good creative player to call upon from the bench and you can rotate as well. There's, there is some symmetry between those two players and that's what United need really. They need players in two positions who are quite identical because the problem they had with Ericsson in games last season was that he would come off in the second half and it would, it would completely compromise their fluidity. The way they played with Ericsson was completely different to the way they played without Ericsson. It was like night and day. Tottenham away feels like a good example of that. I know United were starting to lose authority uh, or control of that game and, and Spurs had scored, but it was Ericsson who fashioned the chance for Fernandes at 2-1 and he smacked it against the crossbar when, when he should have scored. Then Ericsson went off and you, you could tell United supporters weren't entirely in agreement with that, that decision. Was, it was at the soccer It happened so often last season. Uh, that might have been... I think the infamous one for that was Sevilla in the home leg when you had uh, Malassia, Veghorst and Langer all come on with United 2-0 up and they eventually lost 5-2 on aggregate uh, in that tie. So that was, in terms of, like, there were very few disaster classes from Ten Hag, but that, that was the one that really um, that really springs to mind. But certainly with Ericsson, it, it was becoming problematic and you, you did watch him in games and, I think it was, was it Brighton? They played on the Thursday last month at the start of May and then they had West Ham on the Thursday and he didn't start at Brighton. That was that was seen as a surprise and they certainly missed him. But you also knew Ten Hag thought, well, I, I need him more for West Ham on the Sunday, so I'll start him in that game. And when you're in that pattern and it is a taxing season and fortunately United will not have that dreaded Thursday-Sunday schedule next season but you would still hope to have players who have the durability to to get through um, what what was a pretty onerous season. I mean, they had a hell of a lot of games. Was it 61 or 62 games? And 
some of them were genuinely un- genuinely avoidable. You think about the Europa League playoff, they should have won that group. They didn't. So they ended up with a two-legged tie against Barcelona, engrossing though it was. It was two extra games and you did wonder at the time whether that might affect their preparation for, for the League Cup final. In the end, it didn't. And they actually handled that that February extremely well when they had eight or nine games. It was a hell of a month, but United didn't lose a single game that month. But there was definitely a levelling off with the performance level after that. And of course, a week after Wembley, they were trounced 7-0 at, at Liverpool. So, um I mean, and and what you said at the start, the point about Sterling's fee last year, forty-seven million for a player the year left in his contract. I think the more interesting point that you observation you just um, touched upon was was Kai Havertz, and I didn't realise that he has two years left in his contract. So if he's going for this reputed fee of sixty-five million, that that probably strengthens United's um, bargaining position as to what what mount uh, what mount's valuation is, because although I'd argue mount is a a better player than Havertz, similar age range, similar pedigree, won similar honours as well. There can't be a great disparity in, in terms of the, those two players' valuations. And of course, Mount wants to leave. Exactly, exactly. You're right, though, it has been a very long season. I'm off to Portugal tomorrow and Samuel, I need a holiday. So if I need a holiday, I can only imagine what the players have needed. And they're the ones actually doing the running around. I've just been sitting on my laptop and, and typing away, really. Um I guess it's ironic. Mount's on the move. His best friend's also on the move, Samuel. Or it seems to be anyways. Declan Rice, West Ham have confirmed he will be leaving this summer. Um, Arsenal are obviously in talks. But for the last few days, there's been really momentum behind Man City uh, and Rice. And they've obviously got an interest in him as well. Um, I guess the ship sailed as far as United's interest in Rice is concerned anyways. Yeah. I, the thing with Rice is that he he's still his name is still being bracketed with United and it does feel like that's West Ham's way of trying to get Arsenal to get their act together to to cough up the money. Uh, City and United are never going to have an issue with being linked with Declan Rice because he's a, he's a brilliant player and he's a player that uh, in, in other circumstances they would be absolutely making a beeline for and they'd have had the framework in place to sign him months in advance. But these things changed for, for a while it felt like Rice was inevitably going to end up playing for Chelsea with with his his mate Mount they came through uh, the same uh, youth team I think at Chelsea Rice was let go and has done tremendously well uh, at West Ham he's had a, a brilliant West Ham career as well and he's clearly going to leave on good terms there given the way uh, given that his send-off was their first major trophy in what was it 43 years with the Conference League and really with United, in, in hindsight, and it was certainly being talked about at the time in the summer of 21, that the need for a defensive midfielder. And I'd written earlier in the year that Rice had spoken to Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw about United. He was he was clearly intrigued by them. And it was interesting, those quotes he gave to Talk Sport after playing against United last month, how United are the biggest club in the world. And you of course, you want to impress against them. And that that was tantamount to fluttering his eyelashes at them as well. But going back to that sum of 21, in hindsight, maybe that was a position that should have been one of the two key priorities rather than... I'd always say that they needed a centre-back because that, that defence, although it wasn't a disaster the previous season, there were fundamental issues and they did need an upgrade on, um, on, on Lindelof and Maguire. Maguire's stock at the time was pretty pretty high. 
Sancho was this player that United just couldn't quit and it did seem inevitable that he was going to end up at United at some point or another and in the end they did negotiate the fee down uh, and, and and get him but it's it's been a he's frankly he's had a dreadful two years and it is easy to say it with hindsight but another club if they had greater backing if they were very good in the seller's market they probably would have made an allowance for defensive midfielder as well and Rice would have been the obvious option but I remember writing as well just a couple of months into that season. It might have been after the the infamous Leicester defeat, which was pretty much the start. That, that was the beginning of the end for Solskjaer and, and being told that Solskjaer did want a defensive midfielder in the summer, but, but Rice was just unattainable. You go back then, he, he had, what, three years minimum left in his contract. There's this extension as well. So he would have been i mean they're talking about 100 million pounds from now it would have been that figure then as well he it just started in i think most of england's games at the euros if not all of them so his his stock was as as high then as it is now it's probably it, probably higher now because he's a better player but it was extremely high back then and united just could not that they they, they couldn't bankroll that kind of deal but under different ownership and different circumstances, maybe they would have. There was an inquiry last year, but I think they were just wasting. That was a waste of time, really. West Ham had had a good season. They, they had European football. United could not sign players of that profile. If they, it, it, they're going for elite England internationals this summer because they're back in the Champions League, and they are back on the up. Last year they couldn't do that. They'd had their worst season in a generation. They didn't have Champions League football to offer, so of all the clubs to go to why would Declan Rice go to to United then this summer the way it's going it's it's different I I can understand why United are back in Ten Hag with Mount because there is arguably a greater need for a younger more creative um, player in in the mould of Mount and and someone who's more aligned with what Ten Hag wants he he wants an alternative to Christian Eriksen he doesn't have an alternative to Eriksen if if Eriksen comes out the team Fred goes in and Fred is a very, very different player and he might be off to Fulham still. So they they need they need a midfielder. There's always there is an argument that they need another midfielder as well because Casemiro is going to miss games next season. He missed a lot of games last season through suspension. They they need a specialist, a young specialist defensive midfielder as well. But the prospect of them signing two this summer is is pretty fanciful unless there are some serious outgoings there and it's 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 not going to suffice with uh, Zidane Iqbal who is a midfielder leaving for about a million euros yeah we'll come on to him in the second part actually I thought it was worth talking about um I've got a West Ham supporting friend who told everyone who would listen that Rice would go on to make 100 appearances for England when he was just coming through I think when he was 19 and we just you know told him to shut up and that he was stupid but we're the ones looking a bit foolish now and he's laughing um, what a prediction and what a player Declan Rice is anyways and he'll be a great addition for anyone who does sign him United fans will be hoping definitely that he won't be playing over at the Etihad next season anyways um, Samuel we'll leave it there for part one be back in a moment for part two Obviously, the, it'll have consequences, the, the goalkeeping situation, uh, Samuel, about 
uh, doing Groundhog Day again on David De Gea. But I just thought it was, yeah, exactly. I just thought it was worth talking about. Um, Is that now going to be a priority? Because we obviously, Mount's coming in. We do expect him probably now to be the first signing of the summer, really, barring a disaster in negotiations and it collapsing. Um, But Ten Hag's been described as obsessed with signing Harry Kane. We all know the team desperately needs a, a prolific goal scorer. Yeah, this goalkeeping situation is developing. David De Gea's contract expires next week. Next week, Samuel. Do you know what I mean? That's came around very quickly, hasn't it? And they can't go in the pre-season without a number one because that would just be amateur. So do they really turn their attention to a goalkeeper, I guess? Because all last six months leading up to the summer window, it's all been about signing in the centre-forward. But I guess their focus is going to have to turn to a goalkeeper at some point if if De Gea does leave. Well, it will. It will have to. And it's such a it's such a strange situation in that they could they they could have they could be completely without an obvious number 1 or they could have you know they could be sport for choice if you know first day of pre-season and you've got De Gea turning up and and Dean Henderson is being dragged kicking and screaming into to Carrington because he has to go back to United and he's still number 2 to David De Gea four or five years on from uh, from first establishing himself at that level, but the, I mean, the question, really, that question is probably better answering answering next week when when the the time has passed for for De Gea's contract. I've just got a horrible feeling, and I say this from from a news news perspective, that the deadline. It will will come into July. He'll be out of contract, and there'll be some indication that oh, we're still in discussions. When really, if if there's no movement over the next week, and if if you're a, if you're an advisor to United, you'd just be saying, look, you know, ignore the phone. Don't don't speak to him. Other than to say, you know, we've we've made a decision that we're, we're not going to we're, we're going to cease negotiations. We want to thank you for everything you've done, and this is the send off, etc. But I, I just advise not to negotiate anymore, and of course, then they've no choice but to to sign a, a goalkeeper because all the indications point to Henson not being that goalkeeper. But a striker, the, the way they're operating in terms of carefully bidding for Mount with a, a striker in mind because they don't want to compromise that budget. The two big signings they intend to make are a midfielder and a striker. That's not really changed. But the goalkeeping situation is is a huge one. What I'd always argue with a striker is that when a, when a striker gets the Golden Boot Award, although he's he's received passes or crosses, he's done that. He's primarily done the difficult task of sticking the ball in the back of the net. With the Golden Glove Award, which is one of those awards that you you kind of wish the Premier League didn't bother with, it's it's an individual award, but it's a collective effort. Luke Shaw, Lissandro Martinez, Rafael Varane had really good seasons for United and played a big role in the amount of clean sheets uh, United amassed. De Gea did as well. He, he had some match-winning performances. I can think of West Ham, Leicester, uh, Fulham in the FA Cup quarterfinal as well. There were a few times last season you came away from the game thinking that De Gea's, De Gea's bailed out United there. The trouble was, as many times if not more, there were times where he had, he'd cost them and being a goalkeeper is, is an unforgiving business and De Gea has been a top goalkeeper. That's why he's been at United partly as long as he has. But I, I'd still always say that with the striker, 
if if they don't sign a striker next season, they might as well plan for Thursday nights uh, the the following season because I, I struggle to see where other teams are improving so much. If United end the window with Anthony Martial as their number nine, I just don't really see a way that they finish in the top four. And I certainly don't see them getting into the Champions League via, uh, through winning it either. Um, that Having a striker in that team could could be the difference between them, them having an unsuccessful season and a successful season. With a goalkeeper situation, they have at least got players literally in front of the goalkeeper to to protect him. But they are going to have to be very diligent in the way they go about signing a keeper and they should be signing a goalkeeper as well. Yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, Rashford was responsible for 27% of the goals this season from the whole collective total. You think if he has a drop-off in form or if he picks up an injury like he did toward the end, uh, they could be in trouble. So they definitely do need a prolific scorer. We've known that for a while. It's obvious. Uh, so let's hope they get one over the line. Other transfer news then, Samuel. Sedan Iqbal, as you just mentioned, obviously he's, he's leaving the club, joining Utrecht uh, in the Dutch first year. Now, I thought it was a bit of a surprising move when that when that obviously broke earlier in the week. I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere. We knew Iqbal wanted to leave in January and he pushed for a move. was obviously denied a loan move. And then I expected him to leave again on loan this summer. So it was probably for the first time, really. Uh, get some experience, come back and kind of try fight for his place. But he's, he's leaving now on a permanent deal. And I think supporters were very surprised at the fee, which was just €1 million, Euros, which equates to around £850,000 uh, in, in British sterling. Um, I guess the point I would make, Samuel, I, I kind of feel like Iqbal was stuck in the middle whenever I've watched him for the under 20 ones a season which is quite a lot to be fair um, he was he really stood out at that level he looked quite a classy operator his passing was brilliant but the problem is he just wasn't first team level for Manchester United yet and I guess that's what it boils down to um, so were you surprised at the move or, or the fee or what, what was your verdict really on the deal? No to both he, he switched to the SEG agency uh, a couple of months ago i think it was He's in airport, and yeah. they're they're rooted in the, the guy who runs them keys voss is is ten hag's agent he's robin van persie's agent kel surprise zidane iqbal is about to move to to the netherlands and as for the fee we've said this time and again united are not good sellers another club if they had a player who was that that, that talked about on twitter shall we say they they'd have got a higher fee for him, and with Iqbal, I suppose he was you know, the, the the fee was as low as it was because he he didn't get a kick last season. He he spent all of last season kicking his heels. Um, that was that those were the only kicks that he was getting, and he should have been loaned out. But there were a number of times where, if there was a mid an injury to a midfielder, he would he would be on the bench. But he was only getting into squads towards the end of the season because Kobe Mainu got injured. Mainu had, had pretty much overtaken him. So he he started the season, certainly after Casemiro arrived, Iqbal would have been fifth-choice midfielder. And then towards the end of the season, before Mainu got injured, he was probably sixth-choice midfielder. And, of course, Fernandes was dropping there as well. So you could say he was probably seventh in the pecking order. And given his age, is he 19 or 20? Um, he he wanted to go out and play in in, in January. He wanted to to go out on loan. It didn't happen. That there's bound to be an element of impatience there. But he's you know he he is a trailblazer, trailblazer given his his background and um, how how rare it is for uh, people from his from his culture, South Asian footballers. It's it's a rarity, unfortunately. So it's it's great for United that they've had this lad 
come in and uh, he's he's been a credit to them he's been a credit to his family uh, he, he looked good on pre-season as well last year so it was extremely disappointing for him it was disappointing for for us in the press box if if there's a a rookie who's getting a look in it's um it's something to to talk to talk about to write about but he he didn't get those opportunities the only opportunity he got was was when Ralph Rangnick was the interim manager and that was a that was a cameo against uh, young boys but it said a lot about him and Charlie Savage who made his debut simultaneously that they they waited around at Old Trafford after Rangnick had finished his media duties to uh, to to say thank you to him for, for giving for giving them that that opportunity for giving them the privilege of of debuting for Manchester United so it'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on in the Netherlands whether he um, you know whether his profile uh, expands if he becomes if if he outgrows the the Eredivisie. It's a very, it's, of course, it's a very technical technical based league uh, as you'd expect. It's it's the Netherlands, of course, um, and it's, it's it's pretty sedate compared to other leagues. So I don't think he should have any issue doing well there. But it, it remains to be seen how well he will do. And as 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 I said, it'll be interesting to see where his career takes him from there. Yeah, I think he'd be quite effective in that division, to be fair. I mean, dropping back is kind of a deep number six, dictating play, spreading the ball. Uh, there was a game I went to in December in the Papa John's Trophy against Bolton. Oh, I was freezing that night. My fingers were falling off. But Iqbal uh, made it worth it, to be fair. He, was, he looked, stood out, really stood out. And that was against... Bolton had a really good team out. And they're at the top of League One, some obviously senior players. They weren't quite comfortable in the end, but it was a good performance from in the 21s. And Iqbal emerged for a lot of credit. I spoke to Travis Binion, the academy coach, after the game, and he was giving them praise, seeing how much he'd improved. Um, but I think you've hit the nail on the head, Samuel, with, with Kobe Mainu coming through. He's now 18 years old, just celebrated his birthday recently. And when Iqbal's been watching him from the bench, he played against uh, Charlton in the Carabao Cup, against Leicester in the Premier League a few weeks later. I mean, when someone two years younger than you is coming through and, and, and getting more game time, that's going to be a bit frustrating. And I think that might have been what made him consider his future anyways. Um, there's been some interest elsewhere, Samuel, and, and some other youngsters, obviously Hannibal from Dortmund, uh, interested in him. He's just had a fantastic loan with Birmingham. Um, I guess the reality is when you when you see these players coming through, United's got a fantastic academy. They put a lot of hard work into developing these kids, but the reality is some of them will be needed moved on and the majority will not make that first team because it's just so hard, isn't it, to kind of get into that team like Rashford and McTominay and really establish yourself. Yeah, and they, they really should also see the academy as more of a cash cow than they do because the cachet have come through the United Academy been developed there, potentially playing for the first team to, to a certain extent, uh, winning a youth cup possibly, or, or going deep into a youth cup competition. That that should be adding valuation to to a youngster's um, the, the possible fee for a youngster. With Meshbury, they they paid ten million euros uh, to, to Monaco to to sign him in twenty nineteen. So. I think his resale value is always going to be protected partly by that. And he has had a big profile pretty much since that, that deal, even before that deal, when it was in the works. He's, he's, he's pretty unmistakable. He's got a very intense um, style. He's, as you said, he's, he's had a season on loan in the championship, which is good preparation ahead of stepping up to a, a top tier league if not necessarily the Premier League then the Bundesliga if he does end up at Dortmund I could see him slotting in in, in a Bundesliga team I think Dortmund is would be quite the complement to him he's he's also been 
um, he's, he's now he's a Tunisia international as well. That's that's been the case for two years, I think. He made his it was two years ago that he made his debut. Played, so at one point, I think it was last. He's was into it? a World Cup. Sorry, Sam. It was last season. He played football. I think by the end of December, because he went to the Arab World Cup, he's actually played more minutes for Tunisia yeah. than he had for United at that point for the under twenty ones, obviously, um, which was an interesting quirk, I guess. Yeah, and he had he had plenty of playing time for Birmingham last season. I think with Birmingham there always seems to be an element of um, uh, some kind of disarray there. I mean, the ownership it seems to have been a problematic for quite some time. They're not the team they were. I remember um, g- growing up in the nineties where they were always pushing for promotion. They eventually got that in two thousand and two, and then they were a bit of a yo-yo club. And so it's not. They're not a go-to club necessarily where you're thinking, well, they're going to be pushing for promotion. But United have clearly formed a decent alliance with them because uh, you, you go back 10 years ago, Jesse Lingard scored four goals on his debut on loan at Birmingham. Tyler Blackett was loaned there. Tom Thorpe was loaned there. In recent years, it's been uh, Tahith Chong, Ten Mengi, and, and of course, Meshbury last year. So uh, United clearly have a good, good relationship with them and it wouldn't be a surprise if... If another academy player is is loaned to Birmingham this summer, Chong, of course, went there permanently last year. But with Mejbri, although you could you could see him uh, having a role in the United squad, you don't see it as an essential squad role or him being part of the core squad. When you're talking about the core squad, you are talking about a player who would be in the first eleven or the second eleven. I mean, sometimes it's by default. Donny van der Beek, by default, is in there because he's the number 10 behind Bruno Fernandes. I know it's easy to forget him, but there's there's no real alternative. You'd argue Jadon Sancho is in there by default because the two left-wingers are Rashford and Garnacho, two right-wingers, Anthony and Ahmad. There's one striker in Martial, so maybe Sancho's backup role is, is there. I know it doesn't work out quite as straightforward as that, but he is among those 22 22 or 23 core players if if you're not if there was an international tournament or there was a club tournament where you had to select 23 players Sancho would be one of them you couldn't say that about Mejbri or Anthony Alanga or these other fringe players and Mejbri does give me the impression that he's a strong-willed enough lad that if he sees that there's not a pathway to the first team and there's a good offer that comes in he'll think Do you know what I'll I'll I'll, I'll take that I'll go he, he moved from France to to England at a very young age. He switched allegiance from France to Tunisia at international level as well. I don't think that would particularly phase him. And, and when he scored a good goal for Birmingham last season, he was asked about, you know, what, what had, had, had Ten Hag messaged him? Had he seen it? And he said, I'm sure I'm sure he's got Sky. It, it was almost giving his, his manager short shrift, it, it felt like. And um, I think, I mean, Rich... Rich Fay did the story about Dortmund's interest earlier in the week and I think Rich also wrote that when when Mejbri joined Birmingham on loan last season, United wanted to extend his contract and um, and he didn't agree to that. Normally that's part of, if, if a player goes out on loan, it happened with James Garner when he was loaned to Nottingham Forest, part of the agreement is that to obviously protect the asset there's a year added onto their contract. Uh, I think it happened with Tunzibi as well when he went to Aston Villa on loan again a couple of years ago. Uh, but Mejbri didn't want that. And given that happened, and that was before he, he, he had a kick for Birmingham, it seems unlikely that he'll have a, a key role to play at United in the near future. 
It'll be interesting to see what happens with Alvaro Fernandez as well. He's obviously been at loan at Preston this season, equally impressive. So he'll get a chance in pre-season to see what he can do and maybe put some pressure on Tyro Malassia. Anyways, obviously Luke Shaw is the established player at left-back at the moment. Um, going back to Teeth Chong, Samuel, did I tell you he was in my gym the other week? It was during Ramadan and I was leaving the gym um, and I looked up and someone shouted, Chongy. And I looked up and you, you can't mistake his hair, can you? I was like, it's Teeth Chong. But it was only, it's only a JD gym, nothing special before anyone gets carried away. I don't go at anything uh, too to, to, uh, to posh anyways. Um, we'll quickly wrap up then, Samuel. Can you expand on the uh, the line you did on uh, potential refurbishment at Old Trafford coming up? Oh, we've gone to uh, in- interior decorating now. We yeah, certainly that's, have. That, that's quite the... That, that, that is quite the, quite the tangent. Up the stairs, down the, up the stairs, down the corridor, something like that, under, on Holmes under the hammer. Quick segue. I can't say I've ever watched Holmes under the hammer with Dion Dublin, but I do know I do know elder elderly people who are who are fans of of his presentation style. Maris Interiors have have got um, have agreed a contract in principle to re- refurbish the workspaces at Old Trafford, but of course they are waiting for the Glazer family to make a decision on this strategic review, as uh, they refer to it, uh, which could result in the possible takeover of Manchester United. It can result in uh, investment we, we will we are still waiting for, for a decision on that it's been seven months everyone's becoming uh, qu- quite impatient or just bored to death of it uh, that that's that's how I feel about it and of course Populous uh, were the the master planners who've overseen um, the, the the building they've they've overseen you know, some very impressive stadium renovations and uh, the building of certain stadiums as well. They are the go-to um, company for that. And that came, I think that was uh, United United announced that quite a while ago now, probably 18 months ago, it feels like, or the best part of 18 months. They're in the same, they're in the same position. They're in that holding pattern where they are just waiting for the go-ahead. And some people are extremely excited about getting involved with that. But of course it depends on who who's going to be calling the shots at Old Trafford. And, um, if there is a new owner or new owners, what do they want to do? Do they want to refurbish it? Do they want to knock it down and build a new stadium? Um, I, I did quite a detailed piece on that back in March. So if, if people want to uh, read that, they, they still can, of course. And that does lay out the possibilities as to whether a new stadium is built on, on the same site or whether it's a case of um, enhancing Old Trafford, but either way, something needs to happen there. It's you know, it's it's good that these these plans are in place and these things are probably going to happen. And in a decade's time, if if we're still going to Old Trafford, God knows what I'll be doing in a decade's time. But if we're still going to Old Trafford, be it as a a spectator or in, in a journalistic capacity, um, hopefully, I'd imagine it will look quite different to what it looks like now um if it doesn't then something will have gone badly wrong and i'd, I'd probably presume that the uh, assume that the glazers are, are still still the owners which is a, is a pretty terrifying thought will you be 55 in a, a decade's time samuel is that how old you'll be I I will not. No, no. I'll be ten years short of fifty five. <laughs> yeah. If you were, if I if you if I said twenty years, fair enough. But yeah, you uh I was waiting you, for a pop you, back. You've done me there. You'll, you'll be about <laughs> well, what? Anyways, tw- twenty yeah, here we 29. Go. 
Yeah, never. It's, it's never become it's, it's like that. It's like that office scene, isn't it? We're we're both in our thirties, and Tim says, "Well, I'm I've just turned thirty. You're thirty nine. No, we're both 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 in our thirties. That's the fact. Both in our thirties. Yeah. No, I I um I know my limits. <laughs> I was going to say, forget an old Trafford redevelopment. Forget singing a world class striker. If a new one comes in, sort the bloody beer out on the concourses. It's Carlin. Manchester United fans deserve better than drinking Carlin on match days. Um, although I will say it is reasonable. Which uh, which brewer is paying you to plug their uh, plug their brand I'm, here? I'm yet to get a deal, Samuel. So I'm waiting for that. You see, I'm hoping one's going to listen to this podcast. And when I'm back from holiday, I'll give. It's certainly not Carling, anyway. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Um, like I say, Samuel, I'm off for two weeks. So enjoy yourself. Hopefully, when I'm back, the club will be sold. There'll be a new replacement for David De Gea. Yeah, Harry Kane would have sang. So I'm going to enjoy myself on the beach, and hopefully, you're kept very busy when I'm away. Um, but thanks for your time as usual. Thank you, Stephen. Enjoy your holiday. I will. Thank you very much. And thanks, listeners, as usual. Uh, just a quick message. If TikTok is your cup of tea, uh, personally, it isn't for me. I've actually not got it downloaded. Um, Samuel, do you have TikTok downloaded? No, I don't think didn't I ever will so. either. I, didn't I hope, so. I I hope, I hope I'll check. never have to. Yeah. 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 I mean, if TikTok is your cup of tea, though, uh, head across there. We're on that app now. Um, the MEN are branching out, you see. And obviously, uh, check out the YouTube channel, as usual. Ticking across nicely, the subscribers are around 2,000 now. And obviously we're on all good audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, etc. So have a great weekend. Take care. Thanks for listening as usual.